Hey everybody, welcome to Campus Comics Cast, coming to you from Carbondale, Illinois, with special guests from the Campus Comics crew. And now, here's your host, the man with the previews in hand, Mike No. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of Campus Comics Cast. I'm Mike No, owner and operator of Campus Comics here in Carbondale, Illinois. And as always, we're coming to you from inside the store on a cool November night. Trademark. Uh, trademark, that's right. That's right. I've been told that is one of the things I say every time. So why stop now, right? So anyway, we're um, just going to be talking about... A, we're going to do a couple of podcasts tonight. One of them not so pleasant, and the other one we're just going to, you know, talk, just have a good conversation about various topics. We'll so we'll be looking pleasant. for a couple. Yeah, it'll be good. It's a little sad. Um, but uh, joining me tonight to do this is Scott Reed, Dan Brown, and really special guest, super special guest, <laughs> extra special, yeah, Mike Atchison. That's right. You may remember if you've been with us all along, Mike didn't. A number of episodes with us, anywhere from one to three, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> I guess we need to go back and <laughs> listen to him and realize how many it is. But um, he's in for the Thanksgiving holiday, so that gives you an idea when we're recording this. So, just uh, well, let's get a, get the band back together and do a podcast with Mike since he has the opportunity. So we're glad to have you here, Mike. Oh, thank you. I'm- yeah. I, you've seen how quick I responded to your invitation. <laughs> yes, I'm in. <laughs> yes, I'm in. So, well, what we're talking about today, of course, you know, a lot of times we'll do these special podcasts or, you know, the bonus podcasts, you know, and one of the topics we talk about is, you know, someone within the industry we've lost um, that's passed away. You know, we've done, talked about Gary Friedrich, Ramona Fraden, you know, Norm Brayfogle, Maurice Everin. Yeah, Maurice Everin, you know, all these come to mind. But uh, just, a, you know, within the last week was probably, I mean, the biggest one I can imagine happened, you know, you know, you know, is, uh, of course, we lost Stanley, you right. know, at the at age 95. So um, since Mike was here in town and, you know, that happens, you know, Scott was just like, you want to do a podcast about Stanley? And of course, you know, we would be remiss not to. So, um, I mean, I don't know where we even start about this, but um, I can't really think as far as for me, because um, you know, I was born in 1961, which is the year the FF number one came mm-hmm. out. So that was actually the beginning of the Marvel age of comics. So um, I'm more of a DC reader, but... Also, you know, there's no way I was around during the dawn of that. You know what I mean? I was reading this stuff when it was, you know, the cutting edge, and it was in its, uh, you know, in its uh, prime of what was going on with Stan. And one of the things that always uh, strikes me about when you look at uh, Stan Lee and any of his uh, collaborators, you know, co-collaborators, is the thing that's just amazing is you think, you know, Bob Kane, and Bill Finger, you know, who's been credited, you know, known for one thing, mm-hmm. Batman. You know, Siegel and Schuster, known for one thing, Superman. You know, uh, what's the guy who created Wonder Woman? William Marston. Marston. Yeah. yeah. Known for one thing. Well, that and the lie detector. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some other things we want to do. Personal history. He didn't admit that, though. <laughs> yeah. He just exploited it. Yeah. <laughs> he just jumped on that bad <laughs> <line>. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> But so that that's the thing that's just amazing, you know, it's like when you think of these 
um, legendary comic book creators, usually there's one thing that they've created that, that they're you know, known for, one or two. But if you look at Stan, you know, and what he had a part of creating, you know, as far as, you know, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Daredevil, I mean, on and on, you know, yeah. Silver Surfer, Galactus. <clears throat> You know, just all these characters. It goes on and on. Ravage twenty ninety nine. I was talking about that Saturday. Yeah. That's what he was going to talk about today. But, um, but I mean, it's just incredible that it. You know, what was it like five, six years t period, and all these characters mm -hmm. stand and you know either Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, yeah. you know, all these guys. They all came out within a short period of time, and they're still going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and now our multi-billion-dollar properties, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Right. So I mean, just his impact on this on the industry and on pop culture in general, you know, as a measure. Mm -hmm. I mean, the other thing I think Stan did that um, took it to another level was the fan interaction. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You know, that kind of he kind of started that whole thing. You know, with his letters pages, mm -hmm. and you'd always see him out there. And he he it didn't take long till he was really bigger than just the comic book mm -hmm. industry you know he was a big personality and just was really just was really out there i mean as a kid growing up in the 70s um i'll just never forget you know my two worlds colliding you know i remember pictures of stan lee taken with kiss my favorite <laughs> band at the time you know what i mean because <clears throat> he was just part of pop culture he was you know what i mean mm -hmm. he was just everywhere and it's just just the other day, I saw on uh, YouTube, uh, John Favreau's old show for IFC, Dinner for Five, mm -hmm. is on there, and uh, it was a special episode hosted by Kevin Smith, where mm -hmm. Stanley talks about that experience and going to the printers to oh, put yeah. the blood put in the, the blood ink, and yeah, he's got a pretty good story about that. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's on YouTube; you can check that out. Okay, I'll have to, I'll have to do that. For those of you who don't know, one of the the first time Kiss appeared in a comic book, well, the second time actually, because that was in Howard the Duck. In case anybody wants to know, for Kiss's first appearance, but they did as magazine size special where supposedly mm -hmm. they added blood to you know yeah. the, the red ink and it printed the comic with that and pictures of you know stand there as they're pouring the vials in you know <laughs> the ink in the printing plant. so don't be scraping those comics for dna to no. try to close yeah, pretty thin it probably won't work. Yeah. <laughs> so so i mean as far as scott what you know your first well, just like you, my my, I have like two, I guess, early mem early memories of Stanley. Mm -hmm. Like the first is just from reading letter pages. By the time I had started, you know, reading comics, he was more the editor in chief role as opposed to the writer. Most of the, a lot of the writing duties had been handed off to to other writers, but he was obviously very present in all those books and the letter pages and the and uh, you know with, with the like you know he did all the foom and and the no prize right was mm -hmm. was right, one yeah. of the big things that i remember younger but then the other thing that i really remember this is probably what's most ingrained in my mind is that he would do like the excelsior at the end of like spider-man and his amazing friends so he would be the narrator for the beginning and end of those cartoons and that made him at that point a much larger than life character yeah. mm -hmm. uh, uh, for me so <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my earliest recollections of Stan. Well, mine's pretty much the same as Scott's because <laughs> I was born way later than these guys. <laughs> but uh, you know, we've talked before about doing an episode about like our first comic books. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you what my first comic book was because when I was real, you know, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends was on when I was like two or three years old, and this and I remember Stanley narrating this, mm -hmm. and I know my first few comics I got were Spider-Man because of this show. They've been lost to the wind, and I, you know, <laughs> one will turn up now and then. 
But yeah, like Stan Lee's narration of that show is really kind of my first exposure to him and this kind of larger than life personality. And he had left Marvel to go to Hollywood, Hollywood to yeah. shop these properties around. And this is, you know, one of the things that resulted from that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm a DC guy, but it's like Stan Lee still has an influence, either just through competition, if nothing else. Um, and, like, I had heard, I heard stories for years where, you know, they were in competition, but Stan Lee would meet with Carmine Infantino every week mm-hmm. when he was editor of DC. And I was, while we were getting ready for this episode, I'm like, oh, I need to find something that talks about that. So I had always assumed it was... They met at a diner or a deli or something over lunch. Mm-hmm. Turns out <coughs> they were having cocktails at the Friars Club because <laughs> they were both members. That's what the meetings were, apparently. But yeah, he's got, you know, he's just had a huge impact on the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what you're into. Stanley, you know, affected somebody that you like or something. You know, yes. his influence is pretty far reaching and it mm-hmm. will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of my first exposure to Stanley. Yeah. So, Mike, you're pretty much strictly as you grew up and everything your uh, exposure was what was it, your grandfather or my uncle your uncle would bring you comics yeah. but he always happened to bring you dc comics yeah i'm not it? sure if he was trying to create bias or, or what it was <laughs> but my uncle worked at sparta printing which is 20 miles from where i lived and and uh every month or two he'd bring my brother and me a stack of comics and there were never any marvels i didn't even really at that age even recognize that were two big companies. It wasn't until later. Mm-hmm. Um, it, probably my first Marvel character that I read or book that I read was the treasury-sized edition of Superman versus Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I can still see that Jose right. Luis Garcia Lopez <laughs> cover. Yeah. And, um, and I remember as I got older, I, I, I delved into when I could get my hands on one or maybe just the odd one came my way. But like Scott said, what I really gravitated to I was reading these um, what was so different from DC was that Stan Lee the publisher the editor-in-chief the the embodiment of Marvel was speaking directly to fans every issue of every comic I seen Mm -hmm. and he had these I mean he spoke on a level like he was really talking to you and that made me both put me both in awe and jealous because I was you know my, my DC was, I mean, I'm probably the most DC guy here, and I recognize they were a bunch of stodgy, stuffy old suits. Yeah, it was much more right. formal from DC yes. than it was from yeah. Marvel. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, what the heck? Um, so I, I um, you know, as I got older, I, I probably I learned more about Marvel um, when I started buying back issues, and I would pick up things, and I, I've read lots of Stan Lee, or at least a few Stan Lee stories, but... Nothing like what you guys have experienced, but I recognize this man as a pioneer and a, um, I mean, just, I've heard other people say, people were texting, and this happened to me, people were texting me, mm-hmm, family mm-hmm. and friends saying, oh my gosh, Stanley died. Oh, How yeah. many comic yeah. personalities, comic creators can we say that about? That sure. you're getting random texts from people, mm-hmm. friends and family saying, this man has passed. Mm-hmm. And the... You know what he meant to the industry going back to the 40s and i'm a i love the history of comics as much as i love comics i think mm-hmm. and knowing every you know how he how he grew into the industry and then hit that magic spot in 1961 mm-hmm. um, with fantastic yeah. four it it just it just warms my heart uh what we would be without him Oh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. And that was at a point where he was about, you know, you hear all the stories. He was ready to leave the yeah. comic book industry mm-hmm. in 1961 yeah. after writing Fantastic Four. And we, I guess we should credit his wife, Joanne, right? With, Joan. Yeah. Uh, Joan. I'm sorry, Joan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With um, 
uh, with you know giving him the reason to write the story he wanted to do read it his way. Yeah, do it. Do it. if you're if you're done, write your story and then and then be done. At least you knew you you gave it 100 percent, and right. then that just you know really turned an industry completely around. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was really interested to know in the 50s, which was everybody knows was the Wortham, and then superheroes took a back seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but Atlas was struggling. Atlas w- was what timely mm-hmm, right. turn Atlas turn Marvel. Mm-hmm. But in the fifties, it was Atlas, and yep. you know, th- pretty much the only employees of that company was Martin Goodman, the owner, mm-hmm. and his cousin by marriage, Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And you know, they were trying to ride the tide of whatever was important or mm-hmm. faddish at the time, whether it was um, romance. Um, and then they switched to western, and then they switched to horror, or and then monster. Then they switched books. to the the kaiju. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say kaiju? Or, kaiju, or kaiju, kaiju uh, yeah. monsters. Yeah. <clears throat> and then then all of a sudden it comes full circle mm-hmm. after that fateful golf outing. Yes. Uh-huh. Martin and and um, Leibowitz. Um, R- rumored, rumored, rumored. That, that, yeah. Rumored. Yeah. yeah, fateful, that rumored. Be apocryphal. Uh, yeah. That, that may be apocryphal. Yes. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I even actually wrote that in my notes because it sounds so good. I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, this it's is a great story. who knows? But it. It led to um, Stan Lee taking that germ and capitalizing on it and making the Fantastic Four what um, Justice League, that's my title, but mm-hmm. if you read those early ones, it's Gardner Fox, and my lord, if that, there's nothing that can be drier than a Gardner Fox <laughs> story, you know, the guy's very formulaic, um, No, not taking any credit away from him or Mike mm-hmm. Sikowski, but... When you read those old Fantastic Four with oh, Liam yeah. Kirby. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was DC's approach, and that's what Marvel, you know, I think, too, people that aren't familiar with the history of comic books don't realize just the impact that Marvel did have because it's a totally different approach to superhero storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you mentioned that the editorial people at DC were stodgy, you know, suits and things like that, whereas, you know, Stan Lee was, you know, talked to us like we were sitting across the table from him. But that was our approach to storytelling, too, that Stan brought. You know, it was just like these he humanized these types of characters. Mm-hmm. You know, DC always treated their superheroes more like gods, whereas... Right. Um, or authoritarian <laughs> figures. Right, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Super dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, whereas Stan Lee and Marvel created human people that had these powers Mm -hmm. you know to see the superhero you know instead of superman batman teaming up you know and all you know blah 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 all this stuff to see superheroes fighting each other not because they hated each other but because they were a family and you know you know you're part of a family you know what it's like to have you know sibling arguments then and they brought that you know to this medium which was unthought of and they brought he brought flawed characters or characters Mm -hmm. that had some type of a flaw Mm -hmm. you know peter parker was the unpopular kid daredevil was blind you know Mm -hmm. tony stark had the you know he was could die any time from the from you know from uh you know that trap no near his heart (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's later (laughs) (laughs) and that was you know the the you know the the dc versions were basically invulnerable Mm -hmm. you know and and um and above reproach yes exactly oh yeah i was trying to figure out why or maybe it's 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 both good and bad but by the time i was old enough to understand sophisticated writing and it wasn't there was more to it than the silver age and early bronze age i was a teenager when new teen titans came out in 1980 i was 13 14 years old Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it that clicked with me and i'm thinking then i realized that's the kind of writing that was going on you know or much earlier Mm -hmm. at marvel um when i didn't really get a chance to see it until my early teens with uh, Wolfman and Perez. Yeah. 
Another thing that Marvel did that DC did not is set their stories in real locations too you know yes, yes. you know which kind of humanized them too but also because you know dc was metropolis or gotham right. city or yeah. central city something like that whereas marvel was mostly new york, new york yeah. you know you could but, see yeah. you could see on the panel and go to that place yes. you know right. So, right. Yeah. right but yeah. that also led to the fact all these characters in new york are in new york why aren't they running into each other? Yeah, so right. they so they were. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. You know? uh-huh. And sometimes it'd be this one little throwaway panel where yeah, they just you know Spider Man swinging by or mm-hmm. yeah. in the air, or Thor buzzes by Spider Man mm-hmm. when he's swinging. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So it was just really uh, just totally different approach to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Both have their merits. Both are great. I love them both, but. You know, I mean, Marvel, it was it was different. It was cutting edge, yeah. you know, at the yeah. time. You don't realize how different it was. Again, people that have had this all their life, yeah. you know, which is me included in that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, don't you kind of take that for granted and figure that's just all the way it, the way it was, whereas you can go back and read those golden and early Silver Age stories and realize it was not that way. Right. So. Did you know he, there I read this just recently. <laughs> just for extra credit. <laughs> just for extra credit. <laughs> he, Stan Lee, drew a bigger crowd at colleges that he spoke at than uh, I think it was former President Eisenhower at the time. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. He was in the, in the 60s in the colleges. Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was the bomb. Huh. Yeah. That's something. So the other thing, what we we'd be totally remiss, especially in this day and age, um, is what would be going on in Hollywood right now if it wasn't yeah. for Stanley's oh, creations? Gosh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like. <laughs> These movies, every I, I, mean, I got to throw in there, dollars. Lee and Kirby. I was, oh, I yeah, was gonna, for sure. I'm just going to yeah. throw that no, out there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. He had his, you know, he had his co-collaborators. That, and, you, you know, know, Kirby did co for the, for the big two, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, no, yeah, not taking anything away from right. those guys at all. <laughs> but, I mean, without the influence of Stan Lee and his co-collaborators, mm-hmm. which, you know, carried a lot of the weight for a lot of times when Stan was being editor and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but, I mean, I don't think anybody can really argue that the major trend and what's bringing the most money into Hollywood and out of Hollywood mm-hmm. as far as, you know, impacts as far as employment and, you know, and just the box office take and all this stuff, and, you know, is is the superheroes and Marvel right. at the forefront of that. I mean, we have multiple movies that have made over a billion dollars. Wasn't yeah. mm-hmm. Infinity War the first to reach $2 billion? I don't was, know if it was I mean, the first. It, I mean, it depends on how long you go. Okay. And then, yeah. yeah, and then you got to oh, worry about inflation yeah. and stuff oh, like that. Right, yeah. So, but, you know, it's up but hey, yeah. I'll, ta- I'll take it. Oh, yeah, yes. You know, sure. I'll take that money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't quibble over a few million. Yeah. Right. I'll take 1% of that money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but I yeah, mean, I mean, now, the, but now you have other movie studios trying to ape this and create mm-hmm. their own universes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone, first off, no one's done it as successfully no. right. as they have. And you've seen some kind of false starts with it mm-hmm. where Universal mm-hmm. keeps trying to get something going with their monsters. Right. You had the Dracula Untold a few years ago, which I think is an all right movie. Mm-hmm. It didn't lead into a universe like they wanted. And then they had this dark universe kind of thing that was kind of another false start with The Mummy, mm-hmm. I think it was last year. You know, and it's just like, you know, Marvel's figured it out. Yes. You know, and again, this is the Marvel Studios, mm-hmm. you know, before Disney's involvement and everything, they made their own movies and they figured, you know, they broke the code mm-hmm. for that. 
Yeah. And and the other thing, too, and I mean, I, I can't really credit Stan or any of the collaborators with that. It was just the absolute turnaround. I mean, it was what, in the 80s, 90s? Oh, Marvel yeah. was bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, and they were owned by mm-hmm. a toy and company. Back you know? to movies. Like, for there's a long time, Marvel couldn't make a good movie. No, yeah. Oh, yeah, for I, sure. You know, I, people rag on DC, but uh-huh. Marvel's made some real stinkers mm-hmm. with their <laughs> yeah. films. Everybody wants to credit Marvel, but I mean, I am of the... Uh, you know, I mean, or wants to be super critical of some of these movies, you know, yeah, mostly DC. Right. But, you know, my generation, the best I could get was the Lou Ferrigno Hulk TV yeah, show. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that was about the best as good as it got there yeah. for a while. So we need to count our count our luck, luck, you know, our blessings or whatever that we get the movies yes. that we get now. No so. one's nostalgic for the Spider-Man made-for-TV movies <laughs> where he's shooting rope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just crawling around the wall for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so strange. <laughs> or the Doctor Strange movie. Did it ever get aired, the old TV Doctor uh, Strange it's, movie? It did. Yeah, I um, don't know. I, I don't, couldn't yeah. tell anything about side, it. But. Side uh, Mystery Science Theater story on that one. Uh-huh. I heard a podcast where the guy that used to screen the movies for that show they desperately tried to get that on Mystery Science Theater. Marvel didn't want it out there, so they shut it down every time. And they just didn't want to admit that that had ever happened. Right. But yeah, and there was a home video release of it. I know it was yeah, on tape so for a while. Okay. I, d- I don't know if it's ever made it to DVD. I kind of doubt it. Right, I would think not. But I think so. if you scour enough, you could probably yeah, you could probably it. find it if you looked hard enough. Right. So, so okay. So is there anything else anybody else wants to? talk about Stan or other I'm than sure our, we could all go on and right, on and on yeah, so yeah. it doesn't matter how long you want to talk about it so because right. <laughs> so, the other thing we want to do is talk about our favorite uh, Stan Lee written uh, story um, so are we ready to go on to that portion think we're good yeah, yeah. so think go, we're right, good? go right ahead all so. right well go you go you go you go you go have you got one i can come i can make up something okay. yeah, so I'll, come up, I'll, I'll come up with my number uh, number two choice okay. i guess so. believe us when we say this is not scripted because we sat down because <laughs> <laughs> we sat down here and say you know scott said his story and was like oh i was going to do that so he's gracious <laughs> to do that well um the story i want to talk about you know and, I, and it is it is one of my favorite stories, but I think it's also one of the most influential and important stories that came out of the Silver Age, at least in my opinion, is a Fantastic Four issues 48 through 50, um, whatever you want to call it, the Galactus Saga, the yeah. Galactus Trilogy, whatever you want to call it. People call it different things. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, issue 48 is a first appearance of the characters um, Silver Surfer and Galactus mm-hmm. in uh, you know, two more creations of you know Jack and Stan. Yep. And um, and to me, just I don't know what it is about that story. I think it's just the groundbreaking nature of it, just the scope of it. Um, it was like a prototype for so many stories, or the archetype, I should say, of so many stories that have come since then. Um, that story the, introduced Marvel Cosmic. You know, yes, I mean, that's, that's right. where we really get the origins of Marvel Cosmic. Mm-hmm. So, cosmic Guardians stuff. of the Galaxy ultimately comes out of you know mm-hmm. Fantastic Four, forty eight and forty nine and fifty. So, right. <laughs> so the whole upshot of the story is, um, you know, the sky. You look out at the sky over the New York skyline. It's all just fire. Is all you can see. And then uh, the Watcher shows up and reads. I haven't read it recently, but doesn't the Watcher show up and reads Lab? And something along stuff, that line. Yeah, stuff I haven't read happens. it recently either. But. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, does away with you know the fire, which is just a uh, an illusion created by the Watcher, and it's just basically all you see is space junk. So you find out the Watcher's trying to shield the Earth from 
being spotted by the Silver Surfer, who is the herald of Galactus. You know, he goes out to find um, worlds for Galactus, the planet devourer, what the you know planet eater, whatever you want to say, to come and consume devourer of worlds. Devourer yeah. of worlds. There you go. And um, the thing that's really unique and different about this story to me is. Uh, it's really the first time a villain is introduced. It's truly not a villain. It's not evil. Right. He's hungry. Force of nature. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just a force mm -hmm. of nature. And that was the way that Stan and Jack thought is, what are we going to do that's different? We have to do something big. So basically, I think their inspiration was really biblical in nature. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just like, what's something that's so powerful you know, that doesn't even take into account Earth is being important enough to conquer. It's just his next meal, right? right. You know, so mm -hmm. just the thoughts of that. You know, just a you different, unique approach to that kind of stuff. Um, the back and forth, you know, and then the watcher, who is more than a watcher in this story, yes. right? He's not. The watcher just, is always more than just a watcher. <laughs> you know? True. That was that's something my uncle told me when I was very young. <laughs> he's <laughs> never been proven wrong, <laughs> right? Always tinkering even though he's not supposed to but anyway just through the course of that you know and and just the resolution that's come you know the, i believe the watcher amps up johnny's power enough so he can go back to the home world and get the ultimate this weapon mm. that you know that he shows to galactus and galactus says okay i'll spare the earth if i just can take that back yeah. well reed, yeah. reed richards is the one that sticks yes. it in his face right and, yeah and that's enough to it's a bluff you know it's kind of like a MacGuffin in a uh -huh. story but still yeah you know it's it's there so but, but that always struck me too you know here's this hugely powerful being he's giant probably he's not as big as they draw him now you know but well, probably it, it, on the it fluctuates yeah you know yeah. their depiction but I just always, I don't know the visual is struck of that because this weapon he holds up is just this little tiny, tiny thing, thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and just like that's enough for Galaxus, you know, to move on. And during the course of this whole story, you know, he strands Silver Surfer on Earth, mm -hmm. takes away his power cosmic, or most he, of it. He, he, he ties him he to he Earth. ties right? him to Earth, basically. There you yes. go. Yeah. And so, you know, so now, you know, Silver Surfer has become, and that's another theme that we see a few times in some Marvel stories, you know, mm -hmm. is the guy that's come to destroy comes to intercede for it you know almost mm -hmm. becomes like a christ-like figure in that <laughs> so so anyway that's my that's my statement for the my favorite stanley story and just not only for the story itself but the influence it had you were gonna say something i was gonna say where's that reprinted is it do you know what collection that might be found in it's, easy it's been to... reprinted multiple times yeah. any any ff like the the marvel masterworks it's in there mm -hmm. uh they There's just a... did a true believers for 40 ff 48 yeah I, not, but not 49 and 50. yeah right i uh, think it's in one of the epic collections they okay. collect those three yeah, and i think there was that region. big giant size galactus thing that just came out i'm pretty sure it's in yeah, there I, I mean i assume it is i'd have to double check and see <laughs> right. but i can't i, I can't imagine so. it's not exactly. so my point is it's 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 easy enough to find. Ironically, I mean, we're, we're inspired even after his death uh -huh. to read things that he... Absolutely. If, and I've never read it, so yeah. I want to read and, it now. And this is the thing, too, about this story. Again, I talk about the influence, not only about the ideas, but, you know, this story was the predecessor to what the Infinity Gauntlet, you know, things yeah. like, you know, oh, yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths, any of these big cosmic events. This is really the first time mm -hmm. this happened in the medium, as far as I'm aware, is to have a multi-part story mm -hmm. with such epic 
implications to an entire world. Right. You know what I mean? And I think it's the first time you see that. And like I see, there's still stories written by that, but they all owe a little and bit. And how many Galactic stories have they done that rehashes this basic plot? Oh, mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And it all and it all ties back. This is I mean, this is like the the beauty of the of the Lee Kirby creations is that everything that is in those characters now was was basically there at the beginning mm-hmm. and they've retconned and and built upon that but they've never kind of wiped out that foundation that those two were actually yeah. able to establish mm-hmm. and i'm going to talk more about mike's pick for mm-hmm. the 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 curb or the least storyboard i'm gonna talk about my own pick mm-hmm. for because actually this was actually would have been my pick as well right but uh, one of the things about like the silver surfer especially silver surfer is like my fa- second favorite character um, and really, if you when you hear Stan Lee talk about the Silver Surfer, he he says that is a 100% Kirby creation, huh. and and I'm one of those people that is in the boat that it's about 60% Kirby, it's about 40% Lee, um, on the you know how much they're involved with like you know Iron Man and and you know the, the Fantastic Four. I I lean a little bit more towards the Kirby side for the creativity, but the 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 voice that Stan Lee gave to Silver Surfer is what defines that character and i it, whenever you read a book like silver surfer 18 which was like the last of the first volume of the silver surfer that was the only issue of that story arc that was actually penciled by jack kirby and with the marvel method you know kirby was basically laying out the plot or the guideline for that story and then stan lee would go in and put in the voice and that is a very different silver surfer than what we get in the first 17 issues of that series and for sure what we get in ff 48 49 and 50. so we would not have the silver surfer we have today if it wasn't for the voice that stan lee and that was in my opinion stan lee's gift was his ability to put that voice into these characters and and just make a very very appealing and very human it's like you know we're talking about an alien character but being a very very human character and it's like you know it's kind of like the superman thing you know you had to have an alien to be somebody who's really really human mm-hmm. so silver surfer was a very alien individual but but very very human and more human than human is, is right just steal the line from was that alien or, or whatever movie or, that was from i don't even remember or what white, movie or that was white zombie whatever. yeah <laughs> 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 so so yeah so that was that to me was you know was Stan Lee's brilliance was that voice that he gave to all those characters so I'm, I'm sorry I oh stole no from no here, you're so. good that, but yeah I've, I've said what I have to say oh, okay. so you just take it away sir. all right so my second choice I'm struggling to come up with actually a second choice so I'm just gonna go to a an old standby uh, it's kind of hard to overlook Amazing Fantasy 15 mm-hmm. uh, the introduction of Spider-Man and Peter Parker uh, so we get that you know great lesson about you know using your powers responsibly it's not exactly quoted like how people <laughs> tend to tend to quote it and i'm not going to misquote it here um but uh you know we introduce the character he's got those fatal flaws he's not a popular kid he's you know drawn a little nerdy he's still in high school and and he just gives that voice to that character that so many people can relate to and, and spider-man is a is a ditko kirby you know lee creation and uh, but it's the voice of stan lee that he provides to that character that is so important and has defined that character you know since his creation so i don't really need to rehash the amazing fantasy 15 story but it's it's still it's one of the more important comics and and you look at its value i mean it's you know price guide wise it's more valuable than ff1 i mean and it's up there Mm -hmm. with like comics like action one and detective 27 even Mm -hmm. though it is significantly a newer book than just because of how important that character is Mm -hmm. i think that really represents even though people think of the trinity as being batman superman wonder woman when it comes to dc the triumvirate Mm -hmm. of superheroes to me 
is Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man. <laughs> I mean, Spider-Man is so, he's just part of our our culture. Yeah, I yes. think definitely yeah. in pop culture, you yeah, know, it's right. probably seen that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 is still the only time you see the eyes through the lenses, right? I'm not sure. I don't I, know. I, I feel yeah. like that was a rule for a long I time, <laughs> and I don't think they've ever shown it since. And you could definitely do that now with modern coloring techniques mm-hmm. and everything. But I think it stands as still the only time they've done that when he realizes the burglar is, you know, yeah, that he yeah, let go yeah, is the yeah. one that killed Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. I think his shock. Because that was guess, one of yes. Peter's fatal flaws. Okay. He was just yeah. kind of stand aside and let things happen kind of guy. Yeah. Well, he was more interested in the money and the fame that yes, he could get right. from his power instead yeah. of the responsibility mm-hmm. of having that power bore. And there's a right. there's a nice you know yeah. moral story to mm-hmm. to that. So and, yeah. and I'm really not sure you know how much truth there is to it because you know Stan did know, was known to embellish things. Sometimes. What? Yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> but I mean, I always thought it was a brilliant touch too. And he did say this. I don't know if it was intentional or what. But he always talked about the intention of how you cannot see any part of Spider-Man's face. Yeah. Because then any kid could imagine himself being in that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't matter if you were black or white or whatever yeah. you and, were. And they've done stories since that play into that, yes. too. You know? So, I mean, if that was if that's true, that's brilliant. You oh, yeah. know what I mean? But either way, still, in my opinion, Spider-Man is probably the best costume in all of comics. I think his <laughs> costume is definitely in the top. Oh, I don't know. Just the iconography of the uh, of, mm-hmm. you know the three that you mentioned, right. but I think Spider Man is just a brilliant design. Yeah, and that you know? and that Spider Man costume, I think that's pure Ditko primarily. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, you got some Absolutely. origins of the character. I think are a little bit from Kirby uh-huh. and stuff that he did previously, and obviously the voice is Stanley, mm-hmm. but the costume design is definitely Absolutely. definitely Ditko. I still miss the underarm web. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I wish yeah. they would bring those back. Uh, I know it's probably a pain to draw. Uh, yeah, but come on, it was oh, just wait, so, they, it's so unique. Yeah, you know, to the character. They for some reason, want to draw those lightning lines on flash unnecessarily so yeah, yeah. yeah. do the webs, know, right? do the webs. So. all right dan so, uh so for me and kind of picking up right after mike's story mm-hmm. with a fantastic four number 51 mm-hmm. this man this monster uh so this is a story that uh mostly involves the thing who uh you know we hear a lot about kirby's great or lee and kirby's greatest creations and things like that and I mean, the Fantastic Four is up there, but I really feel like just the thing specifically doesn't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it's definitely one of Lee and Kirby's best creations. I feel like a lot of it probably is Kirby. You know, the look especially is so unique yeah, to but comics, but just the voice of the character and, you know, kind of the attitude and things. It's Lee voicing Jack Kirby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah, this is a really good story. It's just, you know, one-issue thing. And uh, we have... Uh, you know, Ben Grimm being the thing, kind of, you know, being the outcast, kind of down in the dumps, comes across this mad scientist who says he can cure him, puts him in this machine, and the mad scientist turns himself into the thing while turning Ben Grimm back to normal, back to his human form, and he replaces Ben Grimm in the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. which, how really could he get away with that, <laughs> with the family <laughs> dynamic of that team? Yeah. But, you know, over the course of the story, Reed gets trapped in the negative zone, and this you know imposter thing has to go in and save him and at the end of the story becomes a hero he is lost in the negative zone he sacrifices himself to save reed and uh, eventually you know the change wears off and ben Grimm becomes the thing again and is kind of disheartened by this but reed and sue you know reassure him he's part of the family you know and it's a really good story and you know they've done several stories since where ben Grimm turns back into like his normal human form mm-hmm. uh, i feel like it's never as poignant as it is here in this story uh, you know, there's a lot of great Stan Lee stories. I'm a DC guy, but I've still read a you know good chunk of Stan Lee stuff. 
But like, if I have to whittle it down, and I had to whittle quite a bit, but I'm like, I think this is it. I think this is definitely a high point of his career. I think it's just one of those stories that comes up all the time. I think this is a really, you know, if I just have to pick one issue for me, I think it'd be this. <laughs> uh, so. Well, this, and, and like the issue, and the issue right after that one is another. I mean, issue fifty-two, first appearance of Black Panther. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, Lee and Kirby both. I mean, they were at the forefront of you know dealing with topics like racism and this yeah. is the first time you have a really can you imagine like in six months all these are out mm-hmm. on the newsstand oh, just yeah yeah sure boom 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 yeah. boom you know what a great run that would be to be picking up new yeah and, and it's hard to overlook a book like x-men number one which yeah. was you know it's basically you know dealing with racism at that you right. know at that time just you know instead of black and white it's it's homo sapien versus homo superior you yeah. know that so they were they used the medium in a way um to you know to you know, culturally and long term, make a difference in society. Yeah. So. Uh, side note: I just saw this the other day online. You know, there's been a ton of you know news reports we've all seen come out since he passed, and I saw a headline that uh, says Al Sharpton says Stan Lee has had more of an impact on America than Congress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's about what, what a great you know yeah. thing he was for race relations mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. his sort of you know anti-prejudice themes that he had throughout mm-hmm. his work mm-hmm. you know so yeah i mean again I'm, I'm i'm almost ashamed to say this but being a dc guy i mean the dc guy here that it was what 1965 or 66 when lee and kirby came up with black panther yeah so what year was it that dc's best attempt was tyrock Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the Legion of Superheroes, yeah. what, well, 1973 even, even black, or so. Even Black Lightning. Black know, Lightning was 70s. late 70s. Yeah. Was late yeah. 70s you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean mm-hmm. so, and, and John and, Stewart was – but he was he was a secondary character. Yeah. They, but Stan Lee was adamant about being progressive and being oh, yeah. um, equality, and um, that was evident. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. DC – if you had to pick a Stanley story, good DC Stanley story. Just, just imagine. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, that, there's a lot of truth to that. As um, as I was informed that um, we the, the topic for this podcast would be relating our favorite Stanley written story, I broke out into a sweat. <laughs> I started digging digging through my short boxes. Um, because I'm old and I don't, I can't put them in long boxes anymore. <laughs> and I, 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 I found um, I have a handful. I mean, most of my Marvel comics are post Stanley written, but because I like back issues and I buy them, I've got some Avengers and I've got some Spider Man. But my, the re- I have more Thor because Thor is my favorite DC Kirby creation. And Lee Kirby. Lee Kirby. Lee Kirby. I mean, DC. What I say? <laughs> Lee Kirby creation. DC yeah. on the brain. Yeah. <laughs> um, Can't get it out. With those nice thin Vince Coletta ink lines. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. Kirby's yeah. bold style. Yeah, I. Um, but it was it, it's it's it was really the writing that attracted me to the character and that high fantasy type. You know, I mean, who doesn't like that? Doth this and thou this and <laughs> I mean, I love that stuff and in any kind of uh, media, but. I picked uh, Thor number 129, which includes not just Thor as a, uh, as a, uh, a mythical character uh, of Norse uh, origin, but also Hercules mm-hmm. of Greek. Mm-hmm. And just for fun, they throw in Pluto, which is actually a Roman mythology. <laughs> but I, I really like this story. Um, reading it uh, is basically Thor, uh, apparently this is midway, or they're, they're just... They're speaking of a previous encounter between Thor and Hercules fighting, and 
um, her, uh, Thor lands in New York City and he's trying to get away from a throng of reporters and a cabbie picks him up <laughs> and a cabbie has I mean just I love the words of wisdom this cabbie provides Thor Thor jumps into the cab and the cabbie says where to pal you name it I'll, I'll get you there and he tells him where you just sit back and relax curly I'll have you there in no time <laughs> and he says apparently the cabbie kind of sees Thor's little discombobulated he says you know what you got to excuse those rubbernecks mister they don't realize that you immortals can get sick of crowds just like any ordinary joe the way i see it you ain't much different than a guy like me you carry a nutty hammer and wear them <laughs> wings on your hat while i drive me a hack and wear a button on my cap <laughs> and then it goes on about and the thor says you know what you're quite the philosopher philosopher my friend <laughs> and i thought oh what a great you just wouldn't see that in many comics at the time and mm -hmm. it goes on to somewhat of a formulaic um, story, but between inter, there's interludes with Thor and then Hercules, and basically um, it's one of those deals where Hercules has to pick a champion to fight Ares, the god of the underworld, or Pluto. I'm not Ares, um, uh, that's God of War, Pluto, and he ends up picking Thor to be his champion. So I just, I'm sorry, I can't articulate better than that. <laughs> it's not, it's not one of these. Um, this isn't on anyone's must-have list, probably for <laughs> comics, but it's my uh, experience, and um, it represents what I loved about Stanley's writing um, and about this character here of Thor. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just good to have books that are fun. Oh yeah, you oh know? yeah, for just, sure. Just yeah. good to have books that are fun. Really, no, yeah, they don't always have to be. Groundbreaking. It, it needs you need that mix of serious, and then you need some lighthearted. And I mm -hmm. feel like a lot of times what we've lost in comics is some of the lighthearted. Oh, for sure. You I know? think just with the trend towards writing for trades, yes, you don't get the single-off fun mm -hmm. issues anymore. Mm -hmm. It's so rare, right? You know that you get that stuff. Yeah, I mean, we mm -hmm. I mean we talked about that three-issue story arc with Galactus, and yeah, and you know that. It was was you know groundbreaking at the time because it just didn't happen, right. right? Yes. But now it's formulaic because of the fact that mm -hmm. we now that we're writing for five or six issues, well, not even for three. If they had right. done that Galactic story now, it'd be twelve issues minimum. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a so year's worth of stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And that's the thing, especially Stanley writing back then. The pace they're working at is evident in the stories. These stories move. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, Marvel books typically are wordier due to the Stanley's you know method mm -hmm. of writing, but. You know, they were just so fast-paced back then, too. Mm -hmm. They're cranking this stuff out. You know, At least it's dialogue and not exposition. Yeah. I, I, I like wordiness. Yeah, if for it's, sure. You know, banter. Exposition is, like, really gets dry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Does anybody have any final words of wisdom to impart before we wrap this one up? Uh, this, Lee has left a legacy that, you know, will probably be unmatched. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, probably yeah. not be duplicated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just, yeah. I mean, is it even possible for someone to pull this off anymore, to do what he did in, back in the 60s, just with the corporate structure of everything? Mm -hmm, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I yeah. can't see one writer writing that many books for one company anymore mm -hmm. and having this kind of impact. Across such a broad yeah, thing. You know what I yeah. mean? It almost seemed like it would have to be some new startup company, mm -hmm. you know, and then. And who's going to buy into that at yeah, this point? Exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, by that time, by the time this all happened with Lee and Kirby and creating Fantastic Four and all the other characters, Goodman and his company had pretty much sold out and had pushed the distribution yeah. over to one of the uh, another distribution outfit, the DC. Yeah, actually, yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, at yeah. The, around this time frame, this is why we had Strange Tales and Tales to Astonish and right, and yeah. because 
DC was basically controlling Marvel's distribution and said, you yeah. can put out eight mm-hmm. books a month, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and that happened until 1968, which is when you got all the Captain Marvel and Submariner and Captain America got his own title and all yeah. those books came around about, about yeah, that but time some frame. Of them, I think, or some of them bi-monthly is kind of how they worked around that too, wasn't it? Yeah, so they, they would yeah. Yeah. So it's only eight a month, but mm-hmm. like maybe they had 16 books or something. Cause mm-hmm. It just goes to show yeah. you that, that they persevered, and yeah. thank goodness mm-hmm. they did. I right. mean, right uh, they, they, against all odds. Yeah. I just want to my, – my final words would be Excelsior, mm-hmm. which yeah. means <laughs> ever upward. Right. Stan got that. It's the New York mm-hmm. State motto. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great sentiment mm-hmm. for, you know, representing – and then given you know in, in honor of stan excelsior uh, i just want to point out real quick too i assume let's go up pretty soon pretty so soon. this weekend you know it's black friday and then small business saturday here at the store we're doing some fundraisers for some friends of the store who lost their house into a fire mm-hmm. uh we're doing some auctions and raffling off some things one of the items is a drawing i did of spider-man mm-hmm. i hid one of stanley's catchphrases in the webbing if you can find it <laughs> you know but yeah we're raffling that off so come by take a look you know mm-hmm. see if there's some stuff you're interested in maybe sure there's some good stuff so oh, yeah. definitely come bid yeah come bid come check it out and you know come see if we can dig around or you know some of these stories we may not have in the store at the point at this point but we will be getting them in you know, i don't know the, about that floor we probably won't <laughs> get <laughs> <Yeah>. my store <laughs> issue hey, you know yeah. what it's in there's they a there's a marvel masterworks that oh, has that true. stuff that's all true. it'll all of those uh, that we uh, talked uh, about for stanley they're all in marvel masterworks and marvel yeah. masterworks are Pretty much evergreen, right? Yes, they, they keep, are. They are always available, yeah, and, they, and they have gotten away from putting them in those hardcovers that are yeah, they're know, very very expensive. expensive. Yeah, yeah but and that, they do have paperback versions. But that of. fantastic four run from mm-hmm. like yeah. the you know the early issue forty up until the Lee Kirby you know uh, ends. I mean, you get Black Panther, Silver Surfer, Galactus. The Inhumans all yeah. come from yes. right there in a very, very short time frame. Yeah. And it is it is well, well worth reading. So mm-hmm. very good stuff. All right. Well, if there's anything that uh, we can help you track down with some of this stuff or get some trades in, like I said, I plan on getting those in here. This is kind of short notice uh, to do this. But, um, you know, we will be getting those in here. If there's anything we haven't mentioned, um, come in here and request it. You know, we can... If it's in print, we can order it and get it in here for you. So just come on in here. Again, This is we're at Campus Comics. We're at 816B East Main Street. Phone number is 618-457-6011. Like us on Facebook. Follow, you know, follow us on that. Dan runs the Twitter side of it, which is at campus underscore comics. Yep. Yeah, is our Twitter handle. So follow us on that. And uh, stay up to date on what we got. And Scott, your info, sir. Yeah, Scott Reed, you can find me at bergcomics.com, B-U-R-G comics.com. It has links to Instagram and Facebook and eBay store. So if you can't find it at Campus Comics, feel free to feel free to shoot me an email. And Dan Brown, you can find me online on uh, Twitter, DeviantArt, and WordPress at Detective651. And I'm pretty much. Uh, Are you <laughs> invisible? Social media invisible. When it comes, I'm not. I have a Twitter account that I use just for watching and, you know, just checking things out. But I don't really contribute. I'm okay. a consumer, not a contributor. But I have a Facebook account that's sort of locked down because of my job. But I I am listed as a friend on the comic uh, the campus comics Facebook page and. Um, if anybody did for some reason want to reach out to me, I've got comics for sale too. If you, want to, um, you can go through uh, Mike No here at Campus Comics. All right. Well, 
I guess that'll do it for this uh, special Stan Lee pod, uh, centric podcast here um, for Campus Comics Cast. We uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you soon.